Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is the show where every week I'm lucky enough to sit with recruitment owners, founders, directors around the world who are leading some of the most incredible businesses in our, in our sector and find out how they've got to where they are, where they're heading uh, and everything in between. This week, I'm excited to be joined by Hannah Donaldson. Hannah is the CEO of Meet Recruitment. Meet is a specialist life sciences recruitment firm with 135 staff across four locations, London, Berlin, New York, and San Francisco. Just, in, I mean, just saying those places gets me excited. Cool places, um, huh? Yeah. They are pretty yeah. cool places, yeah. <laughs> um, 12 years old, as a, as a, or just under 12 years old as an organization across um, multiple areas. Headcount growth is going through the roof. We, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks offline, um, some really exciting stuff going on. So Hannah... Thanks for giving us some time in such a, a crazy period you've got. Pleasure. Welcome, Good to talk. To oh, Thanks. welcome. Um, I, I always, I mean, look, I've given you a little introduction. I always do that. But for the listener's benefit, could you tell us a bit more about you and the business from like a helicopter view right now? Mm-hmm. So if I maybe start with my background and, and what we sort of got here. So fairly well-trodden path for our industry. So I, um, academic background in psychology, knew I wanted to work with people but didn't want to be in a sort of clinical setting. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, business, moving to London, all of that stuff was kind of high on my agenda, you know, back in my early 20s. Sheffield University, right? Yeah, 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 New, Sheffield. I'm a northerner yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, grew up in we the We had the same. We had the same the Man- Manchester to Sheffield. We did the same thing. I got there in 2004. So, I, as you left, I got there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> I know, doesn't it just, doesn't it just? But yeah, like, you know, a northerner, grew up in the north, um, knew I wanted to be down in London, went travelling after, did ski seasons and, you know, all of that cool stuff. Um, you know, I knew I would just basically wanted to, you know, start my, you know, adult life as a as a businesswoman, I suppose. So um, when um, I was travelling, I met one of my now best friends she's in the industry she's um a director of people um as well so i uh, met one of my now best friends um and um she sort of introduced me to the s3 group so right. um interviewed at the different brands as everyone does like i said it's the sort of well-trodden path oh, yeah. um, and uh, joined progressive so that's where i started my recruitment career so um started in uh IT, like most of the brands there, um, was given the opportunity to set up the business in life sciences or pharma, as we called it at that point. Um, both my doc or parents are medics. So having said I was never going to go into medicine or anything near it, I've kind of gone full circle and spent my career talking and engaging with scientists yeah. and doctors in, in scaling our business. So um Loved my time at S3, super grateful for the time that I had there, not only from a professional point of view, but on a personal um, level. Many of my closest friends, my husband, um, you know, various different sort of really important and meaningful connections, both personally and professionally came from that group. But I think I identified pretty early on that I wanted to be in an environment that was uh, more entrepreneurial. And I actually hate the word entrepreneur, but what do you mean by it? Like what was lacking in that business? Was it the size and corporate nature of it? At the yeah, point exactly. It's just that it's just that it, it was a, it was a big 
animal of an organization, super successful, phenomenal culture. Um, you know, if you look at our industry now, so many people, we've got high caliber people in that group, so many people have spun out of it. So wow. I interview you know, them every week. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's a it's it's a it's a phenomenal business. And I think, you know, definitely back when I started was an awesome place to sort of start the career as well. But I think I'm a big believer that there are sort of people in business that are really suited to that big corporate environment. And there are ones that thrive in, as I said, a more autonomous, entrepreneurial working environment. And I'm definitely the latter, for sure. You know, I love startup. I love um, seeing the impact that you can make in people's careers and your clients um you know in a environment which is just that bit more tangible basically so um yeah decided that 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 would have been sort of better um for me um i actually interviewed with the the load of um businesses at, at that point and that was all about sort of start starting up setting up pharma businesses at that point you know it right. was the sort of i think throughout the recruitment industry there's been the time where you know everyone went into oil and gas then everybody wanted to go into life sciences fintech has obviously been a bit high growth area um and pharma was the kind of talk of the town at that point basically um alongside oil and gas i think i probably made made the right decision there in terms yeah, of uh, yeah. cyclicality of end market so so yeah so so knew that that pharma um would would be my home basically so i interviewed a loads of different businesses to set up pharmaceutical um uh divisions um you know knew that that was the direction that i wanted to go in and at that point um you know the opportunity to um you know work with and found uh, meet with paul mcguire and alistair shaw which are the two people alongside me that that founded meet um you know came online and it's you know something that you know, at 26, year, 26 years old, just out of a global financial crisis, you look back at it, I think it's probably, you know, my parents were probably just like, what is she doing? You know, this is <laughs> seriously, seriously yeah. risky. But I really believed from the beginning it would work. I felt, um, you know, really confident that um, we had a great brand proposition and 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 a good end market. Um, and actually, you know, I had that kind of carefree 26 year old mentality which was I'll do it for a year and if it doesn't work out then I've got a career ahead of me and I'm really grateful for that because I think you know I am a uh, a, a worrier at heart, I suppose, a slightly anxious soul, which is maybe, you know, a bit juxtaposed to the career that I've, you know, taken and, and the, the job that I do. But, um, you know, I look back on it and I just felt really liberated by the opportunity to do it. And it was, yeah, the best decision well, I've ever made for sure. I love that. Well, I mean, I, I think what you've said there is quite interesting as well about being a slightly anxious soul, because I think often though, the strength to lean into that yeah. And to take risks is what, what, yeah. what you know, we're, I think we've all got levels of anxiousness and yeah. some are open about it than others, but some people fit, step back from that and others, yeah. like yourself, lean into it. I told um, it. And I think that notion of leaning in is really important. You know, I've done a lot of work on this, but, hmm. you know, an anxious soul, you know, can actually be a really enabling uh, trait when it comes to running businesses and being a really great business leader you know yeah. it, it it can be your friend genuinely can be your friend and I think actually leaning into it and understanding it and understanding you know the strengths and weaknesses of of how you feel I talk about it 
you know, to, to my business all of the time is that um, it can make you really good at what you do. And I definitely think there's examples in my career where that has been the case for sure. No, I, I feel like I'm quite similar. I think I've talked about this before. I'm, I'm probably driven more by fear than, than anything mm-hmm. else. It's mm-hmm. all going to fall apart. And mm-hmm. that's always kept me so switched on every opportunity. Um, yeah. What were you like before? It helps you think laterally as well. You know, mm. you're what always you like, thinking. What were you like as a recruiter, like as an individual biller in the in the S3 and then moving into meat? Was, was, did you love the job of, because obviously now you're, you're leading mm. such a big organization. Yeah. And, I imagine you're not doing deals anymore. <laughs> you... <laughs> not, no, no, I, uh, I, not quite. Yeah, I'm still involved in like client stuff, but actually, mm. a whole recruitment cycle. I don't quite have t- hours in the day to fit that in these days. Did you love? Did you enjoy the job? Like the actual nuts and bolts of the job? Totally. You know, I think what I talk to the people that join our business about a lot is that I think that you can think about being a recruiter and you can. Um, Uh, engage with being a recruiter in lots of different ways you know I think if you're the type of person that's just going through the motions you know hitting your KPIs and therefore getting the outputs out I personally think that you're not necessarily going to get to that level of high performance than if you're actually somebody who genuinely and and again maybe this is my background in psychology genuinely thinks about why people are behaving in the way that they are. Why is your client demanding what they're demanding? What's behind it? What's driving their behaviors, their needs, their wants? Same for the candidates. You know, people, you know, it's well known in this industry where people say, you know, the tough thing about it is your product to people. But I love that. I love that not every single recruitment process that you work on is different because it's a different person with a different background and a different aspirations and different lives. So I think I always really attacked recruitment and attacked doing deals with a really like analyst, psychologically analytical view on it. And absolutely, mm. you've got to hit your numbers. Absolutely, you've got to have that grit and fire in your belly to just make sure that you uh, play the numbers game and do what you need to do in order to be able to get the outputs that fundamentally give you the opportunity to be successful. But actually, what I love and loved about being a recruiter is that sort of depth of analytical, psychological, however you want to put it, insight into people that, you know, I think really elevated me as a recruiter and, you know, means that, you know, I've often been described as something, good thing, bad thing, I don't know, as a force of nature. But I think actually as a recruiter, it's really important. You've got to be authentic. People have got to come with you. And actually, if you actually genuinely think about your recruitment cycles and think about why people behave in certain ways, personally, I think it's a much more satisfying job as well. I totally agree. I used to to say, I used to love the, I used to imagine two people in a room before they're in a room. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd see the dynamic playing out and I think I do that in life anyway like I was always yeah. the guy that would connect people outside of work you know universally yeah. I'd be like oh you should definitely play for them or you should definitely meet those, those people yeah. or, I've set up relationships in the past because I'm like yeah. you two, you'd get on like that's a kind of I think it's fun it's natural yeah, it's yeah. instinctive and then when you learn all the processes you know the classic processes that, that, that underpin it there's a I think there is certain people will get to a next level I, I talk about this in my academy all the time it you don't get to the level that you want to be by just following processes. And being the you've got yeah. to, you've got to be more than that. You've got to get to know people on a different yeah. level. And I think that the best people tend to do that. So yeah. 
let's go back to the start of meat then. So uh-huh. paint, paint the picture for day one. What was it like in 2009? Where, where, did, you, where did you start the business from? Give us, give us the full yeah. overview. I love talking about this, the good old days. So um, we started the business October 2009. So um, that was October the 1st was day one. Um, Our first office was on Charlotte Street um, in London. Um, You know, we picked Charlotte Street because we felt like it was the right working environment for us to be able to build and engage ourselves and each other in the brand that we were looking to create basically so you know so many awesome memories of not only you know the three of us that started the business but then when we started to hire and actually I'm super lucky that a lot of my management team you know have got long tenure with us you know two of them are celebrating their 10-year anniversaries Um, you know this year two or three are coming up to that decade mark so you know loads of really long-standing you know uh, memories of the time that you know we spent in the office in Charlotte Street but also you know enjoying town and rocker and the cocktail club and all of the good stuff that we did at that point so so that's how we started um you know again when you start a business I think people are so naive to actually how basic the activities are at the beginning it's as simple as you know what are you going to work on you know I started a business in the day where blackberries were like super cool and you know we were really forward thinking because everybody worked off mobile phones and blackberries you know and bbm was yeah yeah, communicated like (laughs) so um so you know I think that's you know buying laptops sorting out the office going to ikea to get a table you know it was we didn't want to. We never wanted to start in our bedrooms and no. then see how it goes. We wanted from day one to have a brand, to have a business, to have a logo, to have a mentality towards what we were looking to achieve. Um, and that's how we you know, set up the business from day one. But, you know, of course, you don't have a client. There's not one candidate on your database. It is a yeah. start from scratch situation, which sounds obvious, but I think feels different when you've lived it definitely I mean obviously I started a marketing agency instead of a recruitment company last minute but similar similar concept and yeah it is I I was the same we we went to London Bridge we got a Regis business lounge wasn't a fancy spot I mean it was was in the Norton Rose building right on um on the Mm -hmm. river so it was but I was so used to going to Venquist to to an office at a certain time leaving at a certain time and I thought if I get out of that habit now I don't know where I'll I don't know whether I can do all everything's so new. I can, something has to be familiar. Yeah. So getting on a tube into the city and just doing that—that that was familiar for me. Um, yeah. And so, where did you come up with the name? I love the name; it stands out. And the logo with yeah, the definitely. E, the reverse yeah. E, like, it just stands out. So, where did all that come from? So, it came really from us wanting to have a, a a business that was born on fundamental principles of sort of personality and engagement basically you know I think if you look at um, you know at the time loads of sort of pharmaceutical recruitment companies you know they were pictures of people in white coats and you know DNA across the screen and all of that type of thing and and actually what we wanted to really lean on was that surface personality engagement side so you know the sort of notion of 
good people, good at recruitment, that also happen to be experts within that life sciences space. So we've always stayed true to life sciences. We work in kind of three distinct markets, which is uh, pharma and biotech, medical technology and healthcare communications. But, you know, the healthcare communications sort of a business, there is, you know, there are ad agencies, PR agencies, medical communications companies that work on behalf of pharmaceutical businesses. And I think at the beginning, our brand felt really like a medcoms or a healthcare comms agency in, in, in many ways. And that's where that meet thing came from you know we wanted a business where um you know we were clear about our intentions of um you know engaging with people creating a really great service being experts within the space but you know being totally authentic and transparent and honest you know which you know was maybe some of the things that i felt i lacked within you know a a sort of a bigger s3 environment which is more kpi driven by its Mm. nature of its size actually you know we wanted to make sure that as i said that personality um was you know front and center which is you know where meat came from basically and what was what was your life like at that point? So 26 years old, did you did you have any commitments? Was there anything else that was in the way at that point when you when you started the business? No, really not. You know, I was living in London. I had, you know, I loved my life in London. I was living with friends, you know, doing what most Mm. people do throughout their, you know, 20s, basically. But, you know, I didn't have... I suppose in some ways that meant that there wasn't a pressure, but it meant that there was a really big pressure as well, because I really wanted to get on with my career. You know, I've always been career driven. I've always wanted to have uh, a big career, not only because of, um, you know, the fact that it genuinely stimulates and engages me in terms of how I think, but, you know, the financial security and everything that came with it you know, again, important to me, like most people who go into the recruitment industry. So, so no, I was, um, you know, young, single, no commitments, and just head down into making this work. But is it, I mean, I, I was 26, moved to Clapham when I came back from Australia. Of course, and, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it was literally, an, I remember getting there and thinking, because I was on like a very average basic, I, um, I, I had no money saved, and I'm in the most tempting place on the planet like there's literally yeah. every night of the week's busy and it was just yeah looking back there was some of the most amazing years but again I was yeah. employed by somebody else at that age the thought of being a business owner at 26 mm. I mean take some take some confidence to do it definitely but take again some like I said you know I did reference it before like I genuinely believed it would work like I didn't think that it was a a, a roll of the dice you know I thought there was a dynamic between us that you know I was really confident that it would be successful. I knew the end markets that we were picking were not cyclical and, you know, high growth. So, you know, even on a base level, I knew it would work. But like I said, I do think, you know, being that age and not having, you know, responsibilities or anything like that really helped because I Mm -hmm. had that sort of overarching, as I've just said, you know, do it for a year, see how it goes and, you know, and, and reassess from there. But, you know, we, we've been profitable literally from year one. Um, you know, we've grown year on year. So there's never been a time where I've had those, oh, is it working moments, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased. That doesn't mean it's been plain sailing, far no, from it. No. But it's never been a um, moment where you think this isn't working and I've got to find a sort of extra level of grit to push past it. It's been a lot of sort of good news and, and year on year growth, really. Amazing. What what was the dynamic between the three of you? How did you split what you did in the early days? Because I think it's difficult sometimes. 
when you've all been sales recruiters, like you yeah. all just do the same stuff. How did you split yeah. it up? We just sort of we we basically split a market. So when we started very very early doors, we did pharmaceuticals. So you know worked within pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, contract research organisations, and then we had that healthcare communications um, side of what we did um, as well. And we just kind of split the end markets really. Right. You know I think pharma was known to us, albeit we had, you know, non-solicitation agreements. So we had to, you know, make sure that we honoured those at the beginning, which, you know, was the right thing to do and, you know, meant that everybody could sleep at night, but, you know, makes it hard. But I still think that any business owner should, you know, take those things seriously because you just yeah. don't need that stress in your life early, early goes, early doors. Yeah. Um, the healthcare communications side of our business was a bit more unknown. You know, it was brand new clients, um, albeit that actually, Paul's wife Becky worked in that sector so we had quite a nice sort of warm um, entrance into you know some of the people that were within her network so yeah, yeah we we basically split the end markets um, and you know focused on those for the first you know 12 18 months. And how did the business grow at that period did you did you go and hire people or did you just say three of you keep so it was about the three of us for probably about three months something like that um, and then you know we we made again made the decision to go and grow early you know that was the sort of driver and I think again that was part of the benefit of not having that strategy of let's you know recruit in our bedrooms and see what happens and then we'll go into an office you know early doors we had the infrastructure we had the business we had the um, you know office environment so actually hiring people you know really early was was our intention so yeah within the first six months we probably hired a couple of people um and um you know essentially they you know supported us based on the clients that we'd won in order to be able to you know continue to deliver into the clients and and continue to do the business development to grow the client base as well how did what was the hardest bit about the beginning if you're looking back like what would you say didn't go so well or you'd look back and think mm, maybe I'd have done that differently i think early days everything and it's not that it doesn't matter, so I'm maybe contradicting myself here, but every process, every candidate, every client has a lot of pressure on it, you know. Yeah. And actually, I've always run recruitment businesses and, and tried to encourage people to have a sort of self-employed mentality. It's like, don't work in that way if you don't believe that it's going to yield results because that's a waste of you know everybody's time and you've got an opportunity to be influential and influence outcomes so you know make sure that that's a priority point really i suppose at the very very beginning everything is weighted because you know you're wanting to get those first milestone you know the first deals for everybody the first six figure months the first um, you know the contract is out, the first business development wins. So there's all of these, there's lots of firsts. And I think, you know, that is challenging because you're super emotionally invested in it. You're wanting to navigate those kind of milestones so that you can really kick on and get to your goals and, and your vision for the business. Um, so I think that's probably, you know, the hardest thing. And I think the second hardest thing is just that balance of, being a salesperson and doing what you're good at, building clients, running recruit recruitment processes, but also being an environment where there's no back office. You know, if the printer doesn't work, you've got to fix the printer. And if all of a sudden the emails go down, you're the one that's got to drop everything that you're doing to fix it. So I suppose that is 
it's not hard intellectually hard, but it's really hard in terms of just that juggle of how do I make sure that I'm a really effective salesperson, business developer, but also that the business isn't running on vapor and there's some yeah. sort of operational stability underneath it. So at what point did you start looking at that? So I know that, you know, you, you we talked offline, you talked about the fact you've got a, you've actually rebranded the back office. It's called yeah, the yeah. I've never heard yeah. anyone talk about it. I want to find so more. Back in 2018, we did that actually. So, so to go back to the history to start with, so our first ever back office operations, however you want to call it, higher, um, is still with us. She now oh, wow. leads our operations globally. Um, and go. she started the business, Charlotte, she's awesome. She started the business as a jack of all trades. You know, mm. she sorted out the filing and the piles of paper that were mounting up and she put systems and processes in place and, you know, organized, just organized us basically and, mm. you know, took it from um, a business that I think, you know, I'm, I think I'm a fairly unusual recruitment CEO is I am genuinely quite operationally and process focused. You know, yeah. I like efficiencies and I think that they pay dividends in terms of uh, a successful business. So, you know, it wasn't total chaos, but bringing Charlotte on the business into the business was the moment where you were like, okay, I've got loads of time back because, you know, now I'm not on the phone to Orange for three hours or trying to, you know, sort these things out. So, we, we probably hired Charlotte. So she is still in the business. And I think she's nine years now. So it was a good yeah, couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good couple of years before we hired somebody in an operational position. I look back in hindsight, was it too late? Probably. But we had that sort of lean mentality to what we were doing. And as I said, you know, I'm pretty handy Ali's good at tech like we just kind of did the stuff that we needed to do to make it work but um, yeah she was our first ever hire bit of a jack of all trades as I said and since then we've really diversified our back office it used to be called ops and then I was like okay that doesn't really make sense for internal recruitment and then you know trainers where do they sit and I really wanted to create a brand for them and uh, an identity which talk to them being central to our growth strategy you know so the hub was the name that we landed on and in 2018 I rebranded the back office and now we've got all the different functions so finance marketing people internal recruitment um, uh, operations all sit but they sit within our hub Wow, Basically. I love that. I think that's awesome, and I think that's yeah, cool. Giving them that as well, it's it puts such a you're celebrating them, aren't you? You know, the, yeah. you know, because I think I think in our world it's quite common that they see the the seen as the that you know then they're, they're not celebrated. Well, they it's don't back office, not, yeah, isn't they don't, it? They're not, re- they're not revenue generators, are they? So it's like you know they they, they sit there and they, you know they're not always yes they're not always celebrated. But if you yeah. can give them a brand and and I think. That's the difference I've noticed of all these interviews, 200 interviews now in two years. The businesses that get to the where you guys are and beyond, they really do get the fact that there's yeah. it's more that it's not just about having great salespeople. It's about no. a, it's a proper engine that runs. Like it's got to be you a cannot, repeatable. You can't scale. You can you can start a business and run a business, in my opinion, of course, by the fly by the seat of your pants. You can't scale it because it just breaks. You know, something happens that 
means that it's either really difficult for the people that you work for or there is a large financial implication. And I think when you start to go into the mindset of scaling, then you have to have operational a backstop did you guys, there. Did you, guys, you always knew that was the vision. Was it always going to be a, a, a people business that you were going to build? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know, and, and it talks to what I was saying before about the meat, you know, our emblem, you know, our vision that we, you know, put together eight, nine years ago now was to build a brilliant life sciences recruitment company that people love working for first. Because my belief was that if I create an employer brand that people really like working for, we will attract the best talent, we'll retain the best talent, and in turn, our clients and candidates will get the best caliber service as well. And I still believe it to this day that the people that are in our business are absolutely what make it there's no there's there's just no question mark about that at all um so you know therefore it's important to have that identity both in your sales teams and your sales forces but as i said that underpinning of sort of excellence underneath it that makes scaling as smooth as it can be i'm interrupting this episode of the rag podcast to bring you a message from our sponsor audro you know by now that audro are the number one video interview platform for recruiters around the world. Now they keep bringing out new features from Audro Capture to Audro Producer, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. But now recently they've just announced a new feature to the platform, which is a complete game changer. During COVID-19, they realized that the recruitment audience, the communication was changing. Globally, their clients and candidates were, were using Microsoft Teams and Zoom more than anything else. The phrase, let's jump on a Zoom call or jump on a Teams call has actually replaced the the words video interview for a lot of their conversations over the last six months. Now, they were thinking, do we, I mean, how are we going to eradicate this? How are we going to make Audro the name that everyone talks about for, for the interview process? And they realized they didn't need to. They needed to integrate. So for the first time ever, they, they're the first video interview platform on the planet that have decided and managed to integrate with Zoom and soon to be integrated with Microsoft Teams. So with one click after recording a Zoom video, you can now drag that into Audro and create everything else that Audro has from adding the CV, the heat maps, the capture, and the producer elements. You get all the benefits of Audro before and after the interview, but you get to use Zoom, which is client-friendly on all levels. So this is massive. Teams is coming. It's the first time anyone's ever done it in our sector, and it is literally going to change the way you work in 2021. Get in touch with my friends over at Audro at audro.co.uk. Or if you're already a user, reach out to your account manager to make sure you've got this feature. Back to the show. What do you think is the trigger for a business that's trying to do this, right? What, what, what are the symptoms or the signs they can look out for if they say they might only be two, two or three staff now? What are they going to see or spot or feel to know that actually this is time to start investing mm-hmm. in, in operational support? So. The rule of thumb that I've always applied to it within our business is when a when a business gets to 10 to 15 people or when a team yeah. gets to 10 to 15 people they need operational support you know that's the 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 nature of of the beast really so I suppose for me that was the point that when we were at that 10 to 15 mark the time that you spend on operational activities when you are supporting a business of 10 to 15 people means that you just cannot be efficient. It's a disproportionate amount of time 
Whereas, you know, you could look at it lots of ways. You know, it's we joke all the time in the past. I'm like, I am the most expensive office manager you've ever met in all your life. And that's genuinely, I think, the point that you get to. What am I doing that could be done by somebody else effectively and probably better than I'm doing it? And what could I be doing that actually is really going to drive the business forward? So I think, you know, again, for your listeners, to me, that magic number of 10, when you've got 10 recruiters or 10 salespeople, you know, all doing their own thing. I personally think at that stage, that's when you need to wrap support around them so that they can be more efficient. And Mm. you've got somebody really owning that operations mentality. Yeah. So you talk us through the kind of horizons in the business, right? So you get to say, how big were you when, when you brought the the lady in the first operational person? About 10. About 10, 10, right? 10 so, 12 people maybe, yeah. When, when did you see another level where you probably needed to grow even more and you need to lay even more infrastructure because you probably, you know, you hit a point where what you did to get 10 is no longer, you know, fit for purpose for the next Yeah. Phase. So I think after we sort of fixed the operational side, you know, having somebody on there that was much more efficient, much more organized, much more sort of buttoned down in terms of these systems and processes, you know, and and with some sort of financial experience. I think for us, because we are a people-driven organization, the next need really was, um, you know, people in the business that would support the workforce. So, um, you know, our organizational development team that have, um, internal recruitment, learning and development, and people as kind of separate functions in the business now. But our first hire there was somebody that kind of bridged it. You know, she did um, internal recruitment. So she helped us in terms of growing the business. Um, But she also did some sort of learning and development, mentoring, um, onboarding, training side of things, which historically I'd always led as well. So I think that was the sort of next phase that we had in the business. Um, After that was marketing, you know, thinking about content creation and making sure that the brand was being positioned really effectively um, in the business, Um, you know, as well as then, you know, creating a finance team, which again made that systems and the processes were scalable as well. So it wasn't necessarily that there was sort of uh, um, milestones or it was like at that point we needed that person it was then more about evolving the brand and thinking right. um you know what do we what do we need to elevate here in order to make sure that we are constantly growing and constantly evolving and that was when we started introducing these new functions and essentially these responsibilities came off the founders and into people that were then sort of owning those departments or functions makes sense and and I think it was it was it six years in or so when you decided the US was the next move. So what yeah. tell us about that story? So we started the business in out London, Charlotte Street, as I've said, covering the European um, region, 2009. Um, I was running our healthcare communications business um, at the time, and I was working on all of the executive level placements. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was finding in like 2012 was that my clients were SVPs, EVPs based in um, uh, healthcare communications agencies, predominantly in New York, that were then responsible for placing executive level people into their European offering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was looking to scale healthcare communications. Um, we were, it was a great brand for us you know we were really known as um, you know the sort of go-to recruitment agency within that pharma 
um, healthcare advertising um, space or um, communication space. Um, and I was running the team there that I said, like I said, a lot of my clients were in the Americas. So I'd always known that I wanted to take the business um, globally. I'd probably, my gut probably thought that we would do that in Europe before we went to the Americas. But it was this opportunity that arose in, in healthcare communications. It's a good story, actually. I went to um, uh, New York on a Hindu bachelorette, dependent on where you're listening. Um, and I just stayed for like three or four days afterwards. It's an awesome time. Um, yeah. And I just started meeting people, just started networking, started, you know, thinking, meeting my clients that I'd engaged with, understanding more about, you know, these agencies that were in the Americas. Um, and that was really where our growth into the Americas was born. So um, we did a number of years kind of building an American presence out of London. I moved my now SVP in New York onto that team and he was, um, you know, digging out some client relationships there working with me. Um, and we just early on 2013 made some really amazing client connections there which educated us on how to do business in America really effectively um, and it was at that point that I thought if we're really going to do this we need to be out there and it's interesting the question you asked me before about you know did you have any uh, responsibilities or otherwise you know I was really happy in London I didn't want to go to America yeah. even though New York is firmly where you can see on this artwork here where my heart is but you know I I wasn't desperate to go but no. I knew it was the game changer for our business and I knew that if it was truly going to be a success then I needed to go you know I needed yeah. to be the person to spearhead it so we went down all the visa and all of the you know the, the compliance stuff that you have to do to physically be able to go there um, and then you know in the summer of 2015 we made the move and myself and a launch team of three of three others moved to New York City it was a wow. six to 12 month project to me and then five years later I was dragged back kicking and screaming but um, yeah so what, it's been yeah, that so just you went over or did you go over with a partner or anything like that at the time? No, no, I was, I was, um, I, yeah, I went over on my own at that point. I had met my husband at that point, but mm. we hadn't decided we were going to be wow. together yeah. properly. Um, and uh, he was actually in Asia at that point as well. So there was just this opportunity that, 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 you know, that I went over there and, um, yeah, August, uh, 2015 made the move, packed up what my flat in Ballam. What was it like? You, so you lived in Ballam. So what was it like moving over there? What was the oh, similarities, yeah. similarities and differences? Um, it's interesting with America is that, you know, we speak the same language and there's obviously not the cultural barriers that you would if you were going to launch in Asia, as an example. Mm. And there aren't the language barriers if, you know, we were, I was to go to Germany, again, not speaking the language. There's none of those things. But it's such a different place. It's yeah. culturally such a different place, particularly in New York. You know, doing business in New York is really different. It's brash. It's straight up. It really suits my style. But when we first went to America, we were all a bit, would you mind? And could you yeah. possibly? And they were like, what are you talking about? Just get to the points. Like they yeah. didn't get us at all. And we had to really change the way we communicated. We had to change the way we business developed. We had to change the way we engaged with candidates, particularly in that closing period. You know, New York City is the city of opportunity. So, you know, people wanting 30, 40, 50K raises is just 
what happens. And we had to learn how to navigate that in a way that is totally different in the UK and, and certainly in mainland Europe as well. So, so running the business was really different amazing but super different um actually living there totally different as well you know as I keep on saying you know my heart is in New York City but it's actually it's an amazing city when you've got your feet under the table it's a lot when you haven't you know it's super busy it's um go 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 you know there's just a you know a lot about it It takes a while to kind of understand that it's and I think you know that's what I would say with people who are making the move to launch new offices in 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 new places is that you really have to give it six months of it not feeling quite right you know if yeah. you not you know and homesick's probably like a, a big phrase of putting it but you definitely feel it it's like what yeah. have I done you know I'm away from all of my friends I'm um you know in a a, a business environment that is not I'm not used to being in and is totally different, you know, and I think Rebecca actually, who's one of the um, girls, she's now a director in my New York business, but, you know, she had a tough ride and she is a, uh, uh, a really, you know, brave, determined, ambitious uh, girl who's come from a family who have traveled all over the place. And, you know, I remember the Christmas before we went and I said to her, I said, look, Beck, you've got to do some soul searching because, if this doesn't make you happy, then you shouldn't do it. You know, life is too short. And as much as I don't want one of my launch team to leave, I also don't want you to yeah. be totally miserable. But come back after Christmas and give it a different go, basically. And to her absolute credit, she did and, you know, has lived a very happy life. And, I'm, you know, who knows whether she will be back in the UK at some point. They live a pretty rock and roll life out there. So I think I wouldn't if I were them. But um, what, what would you say then? Just to touch on a point you made about the difference in, you know, closing and things. Can you give us an example of something you did that was traditionally British that didn't work? Like, or yeah. it just, you know, messed up? So I actually remember we were on a club lunch. It was actually when we were still running the business out of the, the UK. We were on a club lunch. It was the last day of the month. It was an yeah. absolute circus. I was actually so embarrassed. We were at that restaurant in London, which used to be the top of the um, building in, is it Paramount? It used to be called the top of the building in Tottenham Court Road. Right. And it was yeah, just a circus. Everybody was on and off the phone. I actually just felt so embarrassed because I was like, what do we look like? Mm. Um, and I had to speak to a candidate um, because, she was getting frustrated about um you know this process of securing her opportunity basically and it was a moment in time where I changed and I was the sort of last person in the closing process I suppose you know she'd built a relationship with her recruiter and that had gone as far as it could do in terms of actually making this placement happen um so I was the sort of last person and it was a moment in time when I realized that you have just got to be so straight up so direct and say things that so in this example she was looking for a really high raise and you know I my language to her was look statistically speaking you're not going to get this most people don't move jobs and get a 50k raise in salary so statistically speaking it's not going to happen but I'm not telling you it's definitely not going to happen because you're an individual and they're a business but if you go into this with the belief that you it is definitely going to happen. You're going to offend people and you need mm. to tone that down because it's not, you know, it's not successful for you. And I was really direct and really straight and, you know, basically told her she wasn't worth it and it worked a dream. 
she went really? into that call she was really charming with the client and the client came back said we're not going to offer a 50k raise but we will offer a 40 because that call was great and it was wow. a moment in time when I thought if I'd have done then maybe try and say this and you know why try and position it that way or you know coached her softly around how to handle that call it would have fallen apart yeah. for sure yeah. Whereas actually there was that moment in time where I was like, you can't say that. Statistically speaking, it's not going to happen. If you go into it with that mentality, you are likely to offend. But go and try, like give it a red hot go. And I've got my fingers crossed for you, girl. I love that. I love that. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. So you go there for a six to 12 month project. How, yeah. did it, how did it end up being five years? Like what, what was it that kept you there and, and, and moving forward? So it was just, it, it was the business really, you know, I love New York. I love the life that I created for myself there and, um, you know, friends and all of the good stuff that comes with it. But the business opportunity was enormous. And, and our European business is also super exciting and there's lots of growth there you know we opened a business in Berlin in 2019 you know which is going from strength to strength yeah. as well so the European business definitely offers loads of opportunity but I think Amer the Americas is so enormous that you have to have um, a strategy based on prioritization or you just try and do everything all at the same time so I made sure that we had a really tight strategy at the beginning which actually meant that you know, we were essentially working in healthcare communications in and around New York and in pharma in uh, New York and New Jersey. So we kept super tight to those locations um, and then opened the San Francisco business just a year later to really focus on the Bay Area, which, again, is a real hub for, um, you know, life sciences organizations and life sciences businesses. But we were and we still are, ironically, seven years on, we're still scratching the surface. You know, we're wow. still nowhere near taking a significant market share. And I just never, ever felt that my work there was done. 
you know, I right. never felt that, okay, I've taken that business to a point now where we have got the right level of presence, the right level of engagement, the right level of client base. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely, you know, COVID, all of these things that have happened to us, you know, I definitely think there's, you know, opportunity for us to grow significantly there as well. So, um, yeah, I just, I genuinely felt the work there was never done and I wanted to really be there and lean into those businesses, both in New York and San Francisco to um, deliver the growth that, you know, I knew was possible. And, and it's been the game changing part of our business for sure. You know, 70% of our NFI now comes from the Americas. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big, big chunk of our, of our business and really excitingly still scratching the surface. I bet. What, what was it like hiring, because obviously the first few that came over were, were Brits like yourself. Yeah. I can imagine what that's like. You know, you're all in yeah, it together, yeah. startup mode yeah. again. What was it like then building a team for the second time? Yeah. Based of American. local. Or did you yeah, focus yeah. on locals or did you try yeah, and get yeah. expat? We did do we did hire um expat people um into mm. the business that you know were either looking to were in New York and looking to move businesses. But you know, I knew really early on that I was creating an American business. I didn't want a group of you know yeah. British recruiters working um, you know, out there. I wanted to create a business that again had that scalability because it was a American business, yeah. basically. So we hired a couple of people straight away, um, uh, two guys that, that joined our business. I mean, hilarious. Often they had no idea what we were talking about, you know, just the, the quirkisms yeah, and yeah, the language. Yeah. So there were lots of language barriers and some, you know, hilarious moments where they just didn't really have a clue what we were talking about or what we were looking to, to, to get done. But, you know, we just hired some great people. You know, I think there are some really great people that flock to New York that you know want to be in that city to you know build really exciting careers um you know and we were really lucky to you know be able to attract some great some awesome people some are still in the business some some aren't but just just really really what differences did you have to or how did you have to adapt to to train and coach and develop those people as opposed to what you did in London so I think the first thing is just about bringing them in. It's, it was about getting our head round sort of academic backgrounds. You know, I didn't know what a GPA was or no. what certain schools mel- meant or anything like that. So I think, you know, when you hire predominantly graduates in our space, you know, two one, two two, you know what you're talking about. All of a sudden it was, you know, GPAs of three to four and we d- couldn't benchmark actually, um, you know, the 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 sort of competencies and the capabilities of the people into the business particularly well at the beginning. So that yeah. was a really big learning curve. I think from an L&D point of view, it's honestly dramatically not that different. You know, we as an organization constantly think about evolving our learning and development programs. You know, there's definitely some language shifts. You know, you don't say CV, you say resume. Mm. And, you know, there's various different sort of ways of communicating the training material that we had. But by its nature, it was it was pretty similar. Um, with one difference being in America, we did create a sort of sales and delivery or sales and recruiting structure. So we had yeah. some people coming into the business that weren't 360, totally delivery focused. Um, you know, and that probably meant that we tweaked the onboarding and learning and development, uh, you know, material as well. But it's not brand new. It's the no. same skills, the same competencies, the same. Um, uh, uh, client management and 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 people management skills just to communicate differently. Do you think you brought the British style of like the S three 
and what you how you'd built meat already was that the style you brought because you do hear a lot of i mean i hear people every day telling me you know when competing with us based firms mm-hmm. that that ag- aggression we have over here the pace that we work yeah. can often mean that we separate ourselves quite quickly yeah definitely definitely yeah Would you say that's true for for what you experience so i think again one of the benefits of actually launching the business myself is i was able to read the culture and read the positives and negatives of applying our strategies and structures and style in the business so there were some things that absolutely you know that kind of um s3 um-esque approach you know of um you know being persuasive and engaging and persistent and all of the things that come with it definitely helped us you know we we we, we brought that into the business and working with a sense of urgency i think mm. was something that's put us in good stead right from the very beginning in terms of just sourcing the candidates that a lot of our clients just hadn't seen before so i think we definitely did that Um, But I also read the room from a cultural point of view. And I think that's what's really interesting about our business is culturally, all of the offices are different. The West Coast and the East Coast are super different in terms of what the employer brand looks and feels like, albeit it's got the same cornerstones and the same pillars of Mm. who we are and what we do and what we value and what our purpose is. Actually, stylistically, it's quite different between those businesses. And then, of course, you know, New York to Berlin is different again. So I think that was the big benefit is I sort of read the room and was able to really define the culture which was one that really served us in America, as opposed to just dropping what worked in Europe straight into it without any sort of big consideration of how it would be received and and how scalable it was as well. Makes sense. And and going into COVID, so if we go back to, say, January of 2020, when you you were based in New York at that point. So I'd come back, actually, I was in um, the UK. I actually had a newborn at that point. I had a baby in in, um, November 2019. So, um, yeah, my my maternity leave was never going to be a conventional maternity leave but covid probably put a whole different slant into it as well so i was back in the uk i was actually in new york we we went with my daughter when she was four months old or something to go to america to 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 spend some time with um the guys in new york work-wise but also you know see our friends and family and all of that type of thing so i was in new york when covid just kicked off but my home was in the uk at that point right right so you'd already made a decision to come back um and how did obviously the pandemic affected us all yeah quite in new york and london and in berlin in similar ways but how did it how did it how did each division and or each location respond? Was the was the differences in the way that people in San Francisco and New York and London and Berlin did yeah, respond? In the I think that's what's interesting about COVID again, and we're seeing it now, aren't we? You know that you know we we've. Uh, just had to postpone our summer party we were talking about it just before our summer party in London because of you know what's changed so um, you know California was in a really rough place for a long time and actually those guys you know were really out of the office for a year you know from August we didn't even have office space there because the uh, stay-at-home order meant that it was just totally unnecessary so you know I think from a COVID perspective, in many ways, we are lucky, I would say, being in life sciences is that it's not like my business is 
you know, predominantly focused on the aviation industry or yeah, hospitality, yeah. you know. So we've definitely, um, you know, been able, we've had a good pandemic if you want to, you know, look at it that way. But actually, I think what's been really great about the experience of our employees and my business during COVID is that we've actually been really agile internally as well, you know. And so so the, the move to remote working, whilst it was hard on people personally, professionally, it really didn't make that much mm. difference. All of our systems are cloud-based. We have data analytics tools which allow people to measure their own productivity really effectively. Um, our phone system is VoIP. You know, there's all of the stuff that it was literally a case of them sort of taking their laptops and their headsets home and starting again, you know, the next day. Um, You know, I think culture, we've really watched that and we've really made sure that in each region, we've done the right thing to create the, you know, an ongoing, really uh, engaging culture within the business, within the parameters of what's possible um, there as well. But to answer your question, yeah, it's been super different in California, in New York City, in London and Berlin at varying times. Right today, New York isn't New York. The governor basically said it's he's, he's re- removing all restrictions. Yesterday, they had a fireworks yeah. display yesterday, wow. which is they're done. Yeah, yeah, that is that's what they're saying. I mean, like seventy percent of the population of New York State is vaccinated. So you know they've just really got on it. You know they've really is the freedom of in and out of New York though. Like, could could other states come in who aren't vaccinated? Like, so no do you know what? there's lots of rules there as I understand it and you know there's lots of different quarantining and and various different things so you know I don't think their borders are closed but I think there are um, you know quarantining things in there from a state-to-state basis but yes they're certainly in a better shape now than we are. (laughs) What about about how's San Francisco? So things are starting to get better there as well. Still reduced capacity um, in offices. Um, but, you know, outside of that, it is much, much better. I think the rules there now is you don't have to wear masks um, if you're vaccinated or if you're uh, with people that are vaccinated as well. So right. they're starting to kind of bring different rules into it there. And we're definitely getting our workforce to use the office now as a learning development hub as much as, you know, place to get together and, um, you know, learn by osmosis and enjoy each other's company as well. So it's definitely starting to come back for sure. Okay. And obviously it's probably evident in the in the, the people I've interviewed over the last two years that there's not many females at the top yeah. of, of businesses, right? And one of the things you've mentioned is, you know, it's probably not a conventional maternity leave. And I, I believe that's probably one of the factors that goes against female leaders in our sector yeah. is, you know, that massive debate. How do I become a mother? How do I have a family? Yeah. And how do I also, it's different working for a company, but mm-hmm. when you own the company, when it's yours. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how have you, how have you managed it? And what, I guess, what advice would you have for females that are wanting to do something similar to you? Yeah. So I am not a believer that you can have it all. It isn't as simple as that, you know, and I think that sort of narrative that's pushed out that, you know, as a woman and as a businesswoman, as a, as a mother, you can create this balance between all of the different parts of your life. I just think it's romantic. It, yeah. it doesn't work like that. In saying that, it's also not impossible. And um, there is increasingly um, the opportunity in my mind, and I genuinely think this kind of shift to more flexible working will be huge for returning mothers, really, really big. 
um, that you can um, be successful at all elements of your life, but it will feel like a juggle. You know, it is, it is a juggle, but, you know, I love what I do. I love this business. You know, it sounds super cliched, but it is genuinely my first baby. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the success that we've had and the experience that I've had watching my management team grow and develop and achieve, um, you know, is really important to me. And I don't want to put that down. Like, you know, it is my choice. I don't want to not do that. Um but equally, you know, I knew and 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 you know, my husband and I wanted a family as part of our future as well. And it's definitely challenging. It's definitely a juggle. You know, when my daughter started nursery at the back end of last year and, you know, we had the barrage of illnesses that just hit when, um, you know, a, a child goes into childcare, which yeah. is super important because they've got to build their immune system, but it mm. is really challenging. Um, and I think what I try and do all of the time is, is, is be kind to myself and compassionate with myself about how much you can do and you know and and actually value um the work that you are doing both in your home life and work in your business life and not ha- comparing them as worse or better or more important or less important they're all important it's just about finding some sort of balance that means that you can you feel like you can achieve across the board and and it is definitely possible you know i think for, for, for women in this industry that are looking to start a family, you know, I think I just urge you to try and find a way to make it work within the recruitment industry. I hate the fact that we have so many women leave this industry because they don't believe that they can be a successful recruiter or be a successful recruitment director or be a successful business owner and have a family. Yeah. You know, it's it's just not true. And there are definite bend and flex that needs to come from both sides, but it makes me really sad and frustrated that people yeah. leave the industry for that reason. And I think as employers, um, we've got to work really hard on changing that. You know, my um, head of people had a uh, baby last year as well. She's been, she's returning back to work now. She started on a three day week. She's going up to a four day week. She's then going to do a flexible five day week. And we've just made it work in a way that, she's so valuable and she's so excellent for our business and for our leadership team that as an employer i i feel a sense of responsibility to really make that work in a way that you know the wheels aren't going to fall off and you know she will combust so i think my advice there is to people is is don't leave because you think you have to yeah, yeah. you know try and make it work and be confident about what you can and 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 what you can't do and be accepting that it's not about having it all it's about having a fulfilled work and home life that is difficult to achieve but absolutely not impossible i imagine your business is unique though in the way or you know compared to many that the leader of the business is making it work like if you have yeah. that role model to say yeah. And I am, and you know, you, you just expect that your team would be more open to be like, well, if Hannah can do it, I can do it. Whereas if you, if your ownership are all male, and you know, mm-hmm. there's not, there's no evidence of that working at the moment. Yeah. You know, and you're insular in your business. How? Yeah. Where do you? There is a lack of female role models in our sector in general. I think. Totally. And, totally. Um, and that's why I urge women to try and make it work. 
you know, and, and it might feel uncomfortable and out of your comfort zone to ask for certain amounts of flexibility or to, you know, change the parameters of your job role or to do what you need to do. But I think that's what I think needs to happen more. The only thing that will change the role model challenge that we have is if businesses accept and allow the shifts that mean that role models believe that a career in the industry is viable. And I've got all my girlfriends, many of my girlfriends live and work in this industry. Most of them have got children or aspire to have children. And most of them have been through a tricky time getting it right. But I think that's what I want to encourage is people Mm. to really, you know, give it a go, accept that it doesn't feel easy. But actually, as I've said a few times, you can get real fulfillment over, you know, over both sides of your life for sure for sure you should do so yeah look we're, we're an hour already i don't know, I know. Where I know. Gosh. So, hannah where does this leave you now so the future tell just give us the vision like you you know you're at 135 staff yeah 12 years you know mm-hmm. you, you could i'm sure wrap things up in a few years spend time at home with your child and build a big yeah. family all that but I, I don't get that vibe <laughs> I, I feel like i feel like you, like you said you've used the phrase we've not even scratched the surface on many occasions yeah. right so, yeah. so where are you heading like and, and if i was say coming into interview for your business what does yeah what is that future that you'd be bringing me on the journey to to join yeah so so you are right in saying that you know the the, the comment that i you know band around a lot is that there's huge opportunity not only with our business but in the end markets that we serve you know and I think actually that's something that um, you know has become really apparent through the pandemic in terms of that lack of cyclicality in the market um, there as well and just the amount of opportunity that the caliber of our business creates that we're not capitalizing on at the moment because we literally don't have the volume to offer the level of service that we want to so um, it is definitely a period of growth um, for sure you know I think I officially was appointed um, CEO in 2019. And as soon as I sort of got into that position, my my visioning then was all about what does 21, 22, 23 look like in terms of what we can achieve. So um, we are going through a period of um, high growth. What we, we obviously had a period of sort of consolidation during COVID when everybody was navigate remote onboarding and everything that came with it, which has meant that the business is really ready mm-hmm. to receive that growth. And actually, um, you know, we've got people um, within our business that, um, you know, want their, want and are, are driving their team sizes to grow and the capability within their functions to be more as well. So, you know, I think it is a period of growth, but one that I think is genuinely well thought out, defined by strategy, isn't a bums on seats mentality. You know, I don't want this business to be diluted by headcount, you know, and headcount for me is not vanity. It's about taking opportunity. So, yeah, we're definitely going into a period of significant growth. Um, You know, we've just uh, finalized a sort of academy hiring model. So, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we had 14 people join our UK business um, and the ramp up there has been awesome it's been so good to see um, how quickly they've kind of uh, got through the you know the training um, modules and are you know productive um, in terms of you know what they're achieving there already so yeah significant period of growth um, significant um, growth within the regions that we're in so we don't have aspirations necessarily to totally mix up 
what we do at this moment in time. It's yeah. about capitalizing on the platform that we've built up until now. And, you know, for me, it's about creating really meaningful careers for the people that work for us, you know, and we've got such a platform to do that now. And do you see yourself... Are you going to be staying up north or are you potentially back in New York at some point? Oh, God. So my homes, when I came into lockdown, it was ridiculous. I had a home up in the northwest, uh, a, a flat in Ballam, an apartment in New York, of which I wasn't using any of them, basically. So as it stands at the moment, um, I am sat in my home office, which is in my family home in the northwest. Uh, my London base is in Ballam. And I would love to think that I will have an apartment in America when travel comes back online so yeah I think we're going to take advantage of um, doing as you know as as much travel as we can do as a family before my daughter starts school so I think yeah. that'll be extended periods of time in the Americas and um, yeah just doing you know making sure that I'm really visual and and present alongside my leadership team my MD and my CFO um, you know to really kick kick on with the growth that's in front of us. Wow well Hannah I've got no doubt you're going to achieve it all, and I'm uh, fingers I'm crossed. Super excited! <laughs> I'm excited for you, and I'd love to get you back on in, in let's say, a year's time and see how mm. this this last twelve months. Yeah, have out. Definitely, um, definitely. If anyone does want to reach out to you, I, I I feel like there'll be. I mean, there might be males as well. I imagine there'll be some females listening who would love to talk to you and pick your brains. If anyone yeah. did want to reach out to you, are you open to to giving them a little bit of time just to hundred percent? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. More, more than happy. All right. If anyone does want to, uh, you're tagged on all the posts on LinkedIn. I think that'd be the best bet. It's how we got in touch through LinkedIn as well, isn't it? Awesome. Yeah. Hannah, thank you. Great. Thank thanks, you so Sean. Much. Thank you for your time. Nice to no chat. Worries. Thank you so much. Guys, thanks for listening. Anyone who's, um, if you've enjoyed the show, if you've enjoyed Hannah's story, please do me a favor. I say it every week, share the episode. Don't keep it to yourself. You know, we all, we all know people in our sector who would benefit from stories of, of growth and, despite competition i truly believe that together we will achieve more as an industry if we're stronger and we learn from one another that's why this podcast exists i've got two i think two or three more episodes left of the season i'll be back next wednesday at 1 30 again live on linkedin and following day thursday on spotify and itunes i'll be back then in the meantime you stay safe and i'll see you soon this podcast is brought to you by hoxo media we are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, We've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing force. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers 
learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.